This podcast is proudly produced and presented by the Zoomer Podcast Network, home of great podcasts like Marilyn Lightstone Reads, Idea City on the Air, and The Garden Show. You're listening to an exclusive podcast of Fight Back on Zoomer Radio. Heard weekdays from noon to one. Now, Fight Back with Libby Snymer on Zoomer Radio. Good afternoon and welcome. It's Tuesday, the day we talk politics. And despite widespread concerns about the Ontario government's Bill 7, which would allow for the transfer of alternate level of care patients, that's those who've been discharged and are waiting for entry into a nursing home, well, this bill would allow them to be transferred temporarily to a nursing home not of their choosing. The Ford Conservatives are refusing to hold public hearings and are set to ram the legislation through quickly. And we have to talk about an increasingly alarming feature of political life, especially for women, and that is harassment and threats of violence, so much so that the government is reviewing security measures for cabinet ministers following the abuse hurled at Deputy Prime Minister Christian Freeland just last Friday. Christian, yes. what the f*** are you doing in Alberta? You f***ing traitors. Get the f*** out of this province. You don't belong here. And now, the Recovering Politicians Panel. Well, now I'd like to welcome David Peterson, former Ontario Liberal Premier, Sherry DeNovo, an Order of Canada recipient and former Ontario NDP MPP, and Lisa Raitt, former Deputy Leader of the Conservative Party of Canada. Welcome all, and let us begin with you, Lisa, because you have a lot to say about this type of harassment. Yeah. So... The big game changer, I think, Libby, that we all need to recognize on this one is that it's not just about the everyday run-of-the-mill harassment that women have been experiencing for as long as we attempted to get into politics. This time, they're filming it and they're promoting it because it's become a, a clout issue for them. And that takes it to a whole new level. Before, if we were being harassed, it would be an individual. They were doing it personally, and they weren't seeking to amplify the message to other followers and get likes or get thumbs up on their social media feeds. And in this case, it was. And that is a real problem. That becomes a situation where they're actually hunting down cabinet ministers and putting them in positions that are extremely dangerous and can go south really quickly. Well, uh, I know that you were worried when you saw this clip of what happened to Christian Freeland that, that he was going to uh, follow her into the elevator. Yeah, I was. And I mean, I've had, we've all had incidents. We can all share our stories. Mine happened at the Air Canada Centre, Scotiabank Plaza now, or Scotiabank Place, I guess. And I was surrounded by people, so I didn't feel cornered, but I had my kids with me and I put them behind me in order to protect them. What I saw was an enclosed space where this really big hulking guy getting in not very not a lot of room in there you know what i mean and one false move it could go off in a very bad direction what did he say to you uh the it was um it was when i was minister of labor the guy was intoxicated he spit on me and he wanted to uh he just wanted to have a, a fight with me and yell at me in front of my kids it it is just it's amplified and I don't I it and and there's all kinds of other sort of hate going around there's a huge worldwide increase in anti-semitism we saw January the 6th in the United States where people are calling on killing politicians and uh that could have happened uh Sherry uh, what's your take on it uh, well, certainly. I mean, I agree with Lisa. Uh, you know, there's going to be very little disagreement about this. I mean, what happened to Christopher Freeland was just appalling. Um, uh, what was also appalling was, you know, the 
the, the, re, the slow response from some, let us put it that way. Uh, this is part of a broader issue, and it really is a backlash against women, women who've achieved some degree of equality. You know, um, there's a saying that's kind of floating around, and I, I couldn't find who it was attributed to, but, you know, for those with privilege, equality can feel like oppression. And I think we're, we're really seeing that, uh, certainly south of the border and in, in places around the world and and now here and it's not new and just like Lisa you know I've had lots of it directed at me in politics um, I mean I think back to you know what Kathleen Wynne really suffered when she was premier um, you know other uh, I, I had said you can call them news sources but you know just just attacked her in the most uh, misogynist way and of course we have the example of you know extreme right-wing groups like Proud Boys who you know basically said I mean what was their you know get you know get back in the house have babies and take care of your family yeah. was their their quote uh, I mean this is terrifying I think um, and uh, uh, and, and again, um, it, it comes from a broader base, and so it really is so important, I think, um, for women, of course, but also for our male allies to, to stand up against this and to make a point of, of calling it out um, immediately when it happens and not to ally themselves, you know, with any of the perpetrators or the organizations that, that do proliferate these kinds of attacks, as, David. as Lisa was saying. So, yeah, I mean, it's a broader, broader story uh, of which ours are part. David Peterson, um, I was trying to look up how many women there were in your cabinet. I couldn't find that. Uh, but so um, remind us. And, and back then, did they suffer abuse as well? Um, the answer, it was a little different time. It wasn't quite as harsh as it is now. There were not as many women in politics then, as hard as we worked to engage and encourage women to be into politics. But let me just make this point. I, I, I totally agree with Sherry and, and, uh, and, and Lisa. This is, I mean, it is deplorable. It is our civilization at its worst. And yes, it is women are probably the biggest victims of this, but they're not the only victims of this. I mean, how would you like to be Justin Trudeau and walk around and all you see is signs saying F. Trudeau? And there is a hatred about that is not just being directed towards women, it's being directed towards a lot of people, and we have been legitimizing, it seems to me, hate speech in politics and in other areas in our society. People are speaking far more harshly to each other than they ever did. We're institutionalizing grievance. I think we are seeing a wash from the United States and the harshness, the, 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 uh, the meanness and polarization that is... Uh, as seems to have overtaken U.S. politics, it is, it's, and then we have to sort of ask ourselves, why is this happening? And I think we could sort of have a legitimate discussion. I think it's a sociological discussion in some respects, not just political, about uh, social media, unfiltered talk that goes on everywhere. There are no, there's no curation anymore used to be newspapers and, and, and legitimate news agencies would kind of uh, temper these things. We don't have that to the same extent, at least they don't have any uh, efficacy. Um, and, then, and then you also have a phenomenon where it, it seems to me you're called out uh, yeah, and I think, Libby, you said that there's hatred everywhere, and there is. There's more anti-Semitism. I mean, there's more anti-Semitism. I mean, you know, talk about uh, it's not just women. I mean, in, on January 6th, they were saying, hang Mike Pence. Yeah. <laughs> I well, mean, they wanted exactly. to hang Nancy Pelosi before him, but... And how harsh that is. I used to think, you know... They would have done a, it. You, I used to think you could, you know... A lot of groups of society have stood up and say, you can't use hate speech against me, but you can still hate politicians. 
And a lot of people that channel their hatred from other groups, ethnocultural groups or, or, or gender groups or whatever, and they say, well, actually, I can't say bad things about them, but I can hate my politician because that's a legitimate part of the discourse. And maybe part of, you know, we've all been in the business. And maybe when people see politicians yelling at each other and calling each other liars day after day after day and coming very close to the bottom in so-called legitimate discourse, maybe, maybe we have some lessons to learn or our contemporaries have some lessons to learn on how they treat each other. Elisa? Can't disagree with uh, the former premier. I'll, but I, you know what, David? I remember being younger when, uh, I mean, we were both younger when you were premier. But, <laughs> we I were mean, all younger when he was younger, premier. Quite frankly. But one of the things that I remember from your time as premier is just how, how people went after your wife, actually, and the audacity of her having a career at the time. So, you know, women have suffered either being directly involved in politics or indirectly being involved in politics. Um, and you're right. I really like your point about how people, it's acceptable still to hate their politicians and be rude to politicians and aggressive, uh, whereas it may be not acceptable to do that to other people and they become almost like this this stand-in or this straw person in terms of it. it I, that's a very interesting point for me. I, th- I think it's true. I think it's true. Uh, but it it's so crossing the line and even you know when when the discourse in one of our houses of parliament isn't uh the most collegial or nice it doesn't cross over into the kind of violent threats that we see no. against uh especially women politicians sherry yeah yeah, yeah i mean and, and also we have to take into account the, the kind of one at a time please Sorry. So also we have to take into account the kind of rage factory that social media has become um, uh, and how, you know, clips of things like this real assault on uh, on the deputy prime minister become viral um, and then encourage others to act act in outlandish ways. So um, and, and there's certainly, you know, not to be conspiratorial about it, but we all do know that there are troll factories. We we all do know that. Um, there's concerted effort to get clickbait on um, on social media sites, and and so that also plays a role. And uh, and I I worry too about our children. I mean, <laughs> you know, children are witnessing this. This is um, I mean, there was a time when you know a certain civility. I mean, I, I you know I don't want to say that we were always you know clear of uh, misogyny or racism or anti-Semitism, but 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 certainly um, you wouldn't be you know you wouldn't say you know hashtag f trudeau you know have it on your flag on the back of a truck um i mean so children are watching this and this doesn't bode well for the next generation either um who what woman would want to run in politics knowing that they're going to be subjected to this and who would want to run in politics so it's a way of intimidating those who who want to make a change and who are there for all the right and principled reasons um and you know forcing them home and i think that's very very unsettling so what's the solution lisa well i think there's there's two pieces here and they should be treated separately the first is i'm glad to hear that the that in ottawa they're going to do a review as to whether or not they're taking into consideration these situations when they're when they're sending their ministers out on tour and i think that makes sense so the mitigation of the minister being in danger i think is one thing um, the second one though is I'm, I'm kind of in the same boat as where david was coming from and saying you know if somebody's going out to create content deliberately antagonizing a deputy minister for her reaction to show what a big man he is and then posting it on TikTok, I, I believe that that social media site has an obligation uh, to ensure that this kind of stuff isn't rewarded. And, you know, I'm going to get yelled at for being censorship, but come on, they, this, they deliberately, this, this TikTok this duo, and the Chinese government, I don't think, has an interest uh, in, in I know, a good but discourse sometimes, here. Sometimes it can be taken down, but this duo was, was there for one purpose alone, was to get her on camera and put her on TikTok or YouTube. So cut off cut off that access, cut off that feeding, that dopamine for them. 
You know, if you if you put this in the context of our age, and I think we're all agreeing on this, we're living in a very mouthy age. You just watch television today or movies today, and you see, and the 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 kids, the 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 cultural icons of our kids and the things that they touch. There are things being said, language being used, aggression being used that was not the case 15 or 20 years ago. I'm not just sitting here with a bunch of gray hair looking back and saying things were better, but it is different. And, you know, when I was a little boy, my mother would never let me use the word liar. You can't, you're not supposed to use the word liar in the House of Commons. It is, it is used all of the time, mm-hmm. and we see all of this aggression all around of us and so it's no it's no surprise that more people are more aggressive than they used to be particularly as sherry said with this the rage on so on social media so the question then becomes well what do we do about it would surrounding christia with three or four big ugly uh bodyguards help oh i'd hope they'd situation? be handsome and that you have to ask yourself that question and and I'm not sure of that. I because sometimes these just things just invite another reaction. Yes, mm-hmm. security to have more security for every single politician, in my opinion, is a kind of an oversimplistic Agreed. way, and it's not going to solve the problem anyway. It may even cause more. Agreed. And I think we have to have far more public discussion about our public mores, what we put up with, what we don't. I think we all have a role. I think our schools do. I think everyone with a voice, every media person does. And call out hatred, call out meanness, call out even unkindness. Where, where, here's where I'm, 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 I don't know the answer. I don't have a clear answer is how far do we stick our nose in terms of censorship? Mm-hmm. And who's, uh, that's the tricky, tricky, tricky issue. Do we have some legislation or body overseeing our social discourse through social media? I don't know. Okay, I'm going to take a couple of calls. Arlene and Lindsay. Hi, Arlene. Hi, hi, Libby. David Peterson, you are right on the mark. Honestly, I can't believe you're talking like this. It's wonderful to hear this. You are absolutely right. But there's one key word that everybody is sort of maybe overlooking. People feel they have the right to do all this stuff that's going on, all the hatred, all this pointing the fingers, being rude, cutting people off, et cetera, et cetera. It's all over the place because they feel it's their right. So the biggest problem, I believe, at this point is maybe we have too many rights and it's not turning out right at all. In fact, it's dead wrong. And the sooner we smarten up on this part because it's not working, as you say, it's horrible how people treat people and how they feel about people. So maybe it's time to make the right wrongs, pardon me, make them right in the right way instead of it's my right to do what I want to do, etc., etc. Okay, Arlene, thanks for that. Uh, do we, we have an, let's go to Carolyn in Halliburton. Hi, Carolyn. Hi there. Um, Thank you for taking my call. Um, I've been listening and I can sort of understand the quandary that everybody is in about what to do about this. Um, My concern is that there does not appear to be a consequence for the individual that verbally attacked Krista. And I know that freedom of speech is a very key item for everyone, but when it is directed in somebody's face, at somebody's person, in a face-to-face confrontation, at what point does that cease to be expressing yourself and become an attack? Well, there. I think, I'm not sure which police force, maybe RCMP is investigating, but, you know, by the time they come up with anything, it'll be uh, an old story. Uh, You're right, Carolyn, that's the thing. And uh, all of this kind of stuff on social media, it's usually, it can be anonymous, right? People say all kinds of things when they are not standing there in your face, though in this case these guys are. I think that's a really profound point. 
as we there's so many ways we hide behind anonymity today and it's the it's the bullies and the uncourageous that do that at least if you're going to be a horrible person stand up and put your name on it so we can attack you or do or, or fight back and it's this anonymous hatred that i find is so pervasive today and maybe and I look. I look. I, some politicians know how to tap uh, to tap into that rage. You certainly see in the states. You're seeing elements of that here. And I think, in many ways, this is a very dangerous aspect of what we are talking about today. Yeah. Um, I want to turn to a couple of other subjects in the last few minutes that we have. Um, uh, this is something that we will, of course, be returning to. Um, because unfortunately, I don't think it's going away after our discussion. But let's get to this Bill 7. Uh, it looks like it's going to be, a, you know, rammed through maybe as early as this afternoon or tomorrow. Stakeholders wanted to be able to speak to this. The government said no. Lisa, was that the right way to go? Yeah. They uh, have a majority. Anyway. This is the bill. Sorry, I, uh, you're, you're breaking oh. up, Lisa. Sorry. Now... Mm, hello? hello. Try again. Oh. Oh. No, we'll have to get back to Lisa. Back to me. Okay, we're going to get back to you. Uh, David Peterson, was that the right thing to do? I don't think so in the circumstances. Look, just take the merits of this situation aside. There are a lot of very serious problems that have to be uh, addressed. There's no question. This is a pretty heavy-handed approach. And if I had been uh, in, in, in public life now, I would have said, when you are doing these draconian moves, and I make this draconian, I would consult widely and I would let people have their says. They are creating, they will create, I think, unnecessary resistance. This is a tough case to make in public. I'm not saying there isn't a case to be made, but you've got to take the time and have the patience. And if you're th seen as being autocratic, dictatorial, or mean-spirited, you can really turn people against you. Uh, yeah, I think we have uh, Lisa back now. Lisa? I yeah, I believe it is the right thing to do. I believe that the, the adage in politics, like David says, is you don't provide a solution until people understand there's a problem. I do think we're at a crisis point that people understand that there is a problem. They have a majority. They know they're going to do this. They're going to get they're going to get it going and they feel probably that they only have a certain period of time to see if this works. And I think they were guided by advice that they received from the ministry and from other people. So they're going to do it this way and if you're if you're not happy with the way it was done or the way that it turns out then it's absolute fair game to vote against this government in the next election. Uh, here's my big concern. They have been warned by uh, nursing homes that nursing homes are facing labor shortages worse than the hospitals. And some of these people are going to be sent to those old nursing homes with, uh, with multiple people in a room, three and four beds to a room. And to me, they're just setting themselves up for another round of, of uh, death and destruction in, in what's, what seems likely the resurgence of COVID. Uh, Lisa, before we move on to Sher Sherry, what do you, what do you sure. think of that? So I don't know if all of that, what you said, is going to be... I don't know that they're going to have multiple people in one room here. I know they're doing it in Quebec. I don't know if they're going to do it in Ontario. But what I do know is that there has been a judgment made that the hospital system is at a crisis point. This is the solution that they're putting forward. I would, I would like to think, honestly, Libby, that they have more things to come, that they are going to address the shortage in talents and in, in, in skills that we have in the system, and they have more to come on this topic because it can't be only one. This is a very big issue, more than just people in hospitals and people in long-term care. Right, and uh, it's only it's 2,000 out of 6,000 because the other people that are waiting in hospitals are waiting for uh, other things like rehab hospitals. Uh, Sherry, I'm pretty sure you disagree with Lisa. 
Um, absolutely. I agree with you, Libby. Um, there are 38,000 people waiting for long-term care beds in the province of Ontario. And remember, um, the folks that are in and waiting for a bed have their list of preferences, so they're not going to get them if this goes ahead. They're going to be sent to places they don't want to go to um, or else. And remember the or else, their families are going to be spending thousands of dollars uh, sometimes a day to keep them where they are. This is absolutely, to use David's word, uh, words, uh, draconian. I mean, it's, and without consultation. I mean, these are our seniors. This could be us. Uh, you know, and, and again, um, this is a government that withheld $1.8 billion of health care spending that they, you know, were supposed to spend and didn't, um, a, a government that has not put the money necessary into home care, which could have been an alternative to this, and ultimately the crisis is staffing. So by all means, repeal Bill 124. Why can't they just pay nurses more than 1% more, attract more to the trade, rather than wasting millions and millions of dollars on private agency fees. Um, I mean, this is a a staffing crisis. That is the crisis in our health care. It's not about beds. It's about people to look after the people in the beds. And so that's what we need. We need action on that front. Uh, They've got the money. They're just not spending it on our seniors. Okay, we'll take a call from Clay and Ajax. Hi, Clay. Hello? Clay? Okay. Hello. Hello. Go ahead. You're on the air. How are you doing today? Fine. Go ahead. Uh, I just want to comment on the the two nursing homes that uh, haven't had the air conditioning in they were supposed to have by June 25th, and they find them a measly (laughs) $1,100. Right. You know, know, as far as I'm concerned, I might be a little harsh, Libby, but they should just seize those homes, not close them down or anything, just seize them and uh, take over. It's, it's, it's like Kathleen Wynne and the giving them nursing homes or long-term care homes 15 years, in, you know, to put the sprinkler system in. She should have given them interest-free loans and said they've got to be done by this and this and this day, and that's it. Okay, Jay, Clay. A uh, little bit off topic there. I'm looking at the clock. Uh, we are counting down to the end. I'm going to give everybody 15 seconds each, starting with Sherry. What would you like to leave us with? Uh, just put the money into our health care, save it on the highways, and put it where people need it. Lisa? It's a really complex problem, and my my wish is that people do work together to come to the best solution, and it's just going to get worse. David? For me, it's been a joy trying to solve all the world's problems with these two <laughs> wonderful ex-public servants. Okay. Uh, David, I, I, Charles is, is on a long trip, so uh, hopefully we talk to you again soon. Thank you. Talk to you. Bye. Okay. Bye, bye to bye. all. Bye-bye. We're taking a break. When we come back, uh, okay, I am not going to use the L word uh, about the transport minister, but he keeps saying the situation in the airport is getting better, and I beg to differ. I'm going to talk about what is actually going on at the airport and also some funny business with hotels, high-end hotels, brand names, big money for a room, and you get nothing or no service anyway when we come back. You're listening to an exclusive podcast of Fight Back on Zoomer Radio. Heard weekdays from noon to one. Fight Back with Libby Schneimer on Zoomer Radio. Welcome back. The transport minister keeps telling us the situation in our airports is improving. The evidence proves that things are getting better. More work is needed, but things are getting better. Well, I don't know, maybe he's talking about Moose Jaw or some other place, because that is certainly not the case at Pearson, the country's largest airport. And I speak from very recent experience. So we arrived about two and a half hours before a flight to Minneapolis on Friday. No point in getting there earlier than the recommended two hours, because uh, the innovation is that you are not even allowed to approach 
Social Security before your flight is called. They put you in this kind of lounge area until the flight is called. When that happens, you then, we then stood in this huge, huge line for security on our feet for over an hour. When we got through that, we then were herded into another area and stood on our feet again for over an hour to get through uh, the border control to the United States. Now, at first, we were uh, very grateful for the various delays of our flight. We would not have made it if uh, anything resembling the original timing on the flight was. Uh, But then they changed the gate to the furthest gate, and we're running to get there. And then, of course, there were more delays. The flight was delayed by two hours. And I learned some very interesting things from the flight crews, because I had assumed it was coming from somewhere. No, that flight was coming from the Air Canada hangar. So um, that was the flight part, and we'll get to it. And then I had booked a very expensive room at a Hyatt, and I expected a high-end hotel with full service. What I got was an extremely overpriced Airbnb with no service and no amenities. And that's not a one-off. That has that happened to me once before in the States, and it's happened to other people at other so-called good brand Hotels. So I would like to hear from you if you've experienced similar things. Uh, And if you're planning on traveling, listen up so you might know what to expect and what to check for. The numbers to call 416-360-0740, toll free 1-866-740-4740. And now let's go to Martin Firestone, president of Travel Secure, which is travel insurance. John Graddock, a faculty lecturer at McGill University in Montreal and a former executive with Air Canada. And Dr. Macaron Modi, an associate professor of hospitality marketing and director of research at Boston University's School of Hospitality Administration. Welcome to all of you. Thanks for joining us. Good afternoon. So uh, let's begin with John Graddock. So uh, part of this, I'm assuming, was the, quote, like the fault of the airport is getting through security, even though the minister claims 4,000 people have been hired and uh, a lot of them trained. And partly Air Canada, like he was saying, things have improved. Uh, There was crew waiting with me, and they told me they had not had an on-time flight in a, in a, a week, and they were just talking about the week. John? John Graddock, are you there? Yes, I am. Okay. Did you hear my did question? You? Yeah, I did. Yeah, thank you very much. Yeah, so welcome to travel in 2022. Uh, you know, the, uh, the mess continues. Uh, it is not a pleasant experience traveling through Pearson uh, this, uh, this summer. And uh, while we have various improvements that are happening from the low point that we had in July, uh, it's still got a ways to go. And I think your experience does indicate that, you know, the, the, the problem still exists, that um, we may have, um, you know, done something to kind of alleviate the problem by bringing more staff on board. But your specific situation involves an agency that really hasn't been much part of the equation or the discussion, which is the U.S. Uh, border patrol, border control system. Uh, they are based on you know the rules that we have for Canadian and U.S. preclearance. Uh, they're their own little masters of their own fate, and they decide you know how many people they have at those counters to handle people. So, is as much as uh, the Minister of Transport has said that they've boosted CATSA and CBSA staff, uh, he cannot speak on behalf of the U.S. border border patrol. And uh, they have not been very cooperative. Wait a minute. That's one thing. But when I finally got to the gate, there was a crew sitting there. And I assumed the the flight was coming from somewhere. And no, that was not the case. The the plane was in the Air Canada hangar, kind of down the street from the airport. And they said there was no towing crew to take the plane from the hangar 
to the gate, and we were all sitting there for another, I don't know, another hour. And that, well, that, you can't blame that on the U.S. border. No, no, no. I, I'm, just, I'm just saying, you know, that I'm just looking at, you know, all the elements of your trip that kind of went a little sideways. And I'm just, I was dealing with the inside terminal stuff. Okay. I was getting to the outside in a second that, you know, the, what's going on on the ramp at Pearson is, is, is still very much a work in progress. I, you know, the question that, you know, Air Canada has been hiring, if you look at the number of people that they have still left to hire at Pearson, there's over 500 positions that they're hiring for. So they are desperate to get people. There are jobs that are going, you know, unfilled. Uh, and as a result, the service isn't there. So Air Canada is having a hard time, as is everybody in the hospitality industry, trying to get staff to be able to, uh, to, to come and work on an airport. And the environment and the, the working conditions, the salaries that are being offered by Air Canada and by the other operators at the airport just don't cut it anymore. And that's why they're having a hard time getting people and the service is suffering. Uh, so that would be Air Canada hires, right? Uh, to tow the plane? That's correct. Marty, what do you make of that? Are are other airlines doing better than Air Canada? I don't think so. I mean, I think WestJet's right in with them and a few of the others. But if I have a brief second, I decided to avoid the chaos in Mayhem at airports, and I drove to New York for the weekend. Upon my return at the Rainbow Bridge, there are 15 kiosks to drive through in order to get through to to the Canadian side. Ten of them had big red letters closed on them. Only five were open. We were over two and a half hours to get across the border back into Canada on a Sunday evening at 5 p.m., a peak period of travel, you would think. Are, those are our kiosks. Those are Canadian border kiosks, 100%. I just add to this that, yes, the airports are what they are, but no one's addressing the land border situation. They've got no better. I was shocked at how long we sat motionless on a street, on a bridge. No sidewalk, no ability to get out of the car or anything. Talking about babies and elderly and all that, and we sat over two hours because only five kiosks out of 15 were open. That's interesting. We we went through the land border a few weeks ago, and it was fine. <laughs> but mm-hmm. I guess it's luck of the draw. Uh, and no explanation for why 15 kiosks weren't manned or occupied by people. That was a problem I had. Uh, let's bring in Dr. Modi. Uh, what do you make of the airport situation, and is it any better in the United States? Uh, Libby, thanks for having me. Um, yeah, it's interesting to hear all the accounts. Um, my my trips, fortunately, have been a little smoother um, here in the U.S., although I will say uh, I was traveling out to India over the summer, and, and Boston Logan Airport, it, it took us about an hour and a half to check in for our flight, but once we did that, for most part, security and everything else was relatively smooth. Um, and through transiting through Europe as well, um, fortunately, we didn't have any um, any major issues. So I think to Marty's point, um, and to your point, it's a little bit of a luck of the draw, um, depending on the day you show up. Um, but U.S. airports in general, um, some of them seem to be doing better than others. Um, some of the major ones still seem to be um, a little bit behind and, and short on staff, just like the situation in Canada. Um, so I, I, I really think it's it's a bit of a luck of the draw right now. Well, I have to say, on the way back from Minneapolis, uh, again, the Air Canada flight was delayed. Not that badly. It was 40 minutes, but, but the rest of it was fine in Minneapolis, uh, going through security and uh, uh, customs or whatever, that was that was no problem. Like forty mm-hmm. minutes seems like <laughs> it seems yeah. like fine. Forty minutes, no worries. Uh, Our expectations seem to have changed for uh, for what it means to get through an airport these days. Uh, let's take a call from Teresa in Mississauga. Hi, Teresa. Hi, Libby. I just want to correct you because we also travel quite often to the U.S. I have a daughter living there, and last weekend. Two hours at Lewiston, Saturday evening, 8 o'clock, and there were only three kiosks opened. Three weeks ago, two hours, also Lewiston Bridge. So uh, the land in the crossing is, is a mess. That's all I have to say. Okay. Well, yeah, we were at a different, uh, a different land crossing. We crossed... Uh, somewhere near, I think it was near Kingston or Gananoque, uh, and I forget where we we went through around Buffalo, 
and it was um, I don't know three or four weeks ago. So I'm not I'm not speaking for all the land crossings. I'm saying we had no problem, but. I'm glad for that info because I was even thinking of making a long drive the next time we want to go somewhere, and maybe that's not a great idea. Uh, so, um, John Graddock, I mean, uh, are we stuck with this? Are uh, are you? What do you tell people? Should they just postpone their travel? No, I don't think so. I think that right now, what you're seeing, you know, we're still in a situation where you know everybody's trying to get their act together in terms of making sure that we've got the right, you know, staffing levels for the flight schedule that we have. Um, the airlines are trying. I don't think they've they've got the answer yet. Uh, I think it's going to take a downturn in demand, and really that won't happen until mid-September after the summer travel season is over, uh, where we'll have, a you know, a, a reduction in demand that will get more experienced staff. The airlines, hopefully, keeping my fingers crossed, will get hirings in place. Um, so it's it's going to take time, and it's going to take. I don't think it's going to take weeks. I think it's going to take months. So I don't see much of a uh, improvement, uh, probably until you know the spring of 2023. Okay, uh, one tip that I got from the crew that I'm going to pass along, and they said that time of day matters. Don't go in the morning. Don't go in the prime evening times. If you go around the lunch hour, it's apparently better, though if everybody I'm talking to goes at the lunch hour, I guess it'll get crowded too. But I thought I'd pass that along before I get on to the next subject. And that is... So um, I was actually going to be with a group in Minneapolis, and they were staying at the Hyatt. They had a group rate. The Hyatt refused to give me the same group rate, which was over $100 U.S. less. Uh, And it's a Hyatt. It's a big brand. It's, I expect, a full-service hotel, um, high-end I paid like something like $400 a night, a lot of money. And uh, I get there and there's nothing. There is absolutely no service and there are no amenities. Uh, I mean, I couldn't even get them to give me a second teensy little packet of shampoo because there were two people in the room. And um, this is not the first time it's happened. Uh, I, I bring in our producer, Zeev. It happened to him at a Marriott in Montreal. Same deal. Hi, Zeev. Hi. So what happened to you? Yeah, so we booked a room at the AC Marriott on René Levesque in Montreal. Downtown, we thought it was going to be a traditional hotel. We get there. First of all, we see the toilet is in like a closet-type setting. And to wash your hands, you literally have to leave that closet and walk across the room, which was kind of gross. And they don't actually even clean your room on a nightly ba- or a daily basis. So there was a lot of things that left us scratching our heads. Well, yeah, they didn't clean clean our room either for four hundred dollars a yeah. night. Uh, and there was a, they took there was a front desk. They took credit card for incidentals, but there were really no incidentals. I think you could buy a bag of popcorn. Um, breakfast was included, but it, there I think there were powdered eggs or something. Because when I walked downstairs, people were talking about fake eggs. And this happened to me also in Palm Springs earlier, where this that one was even worse, where like we had to go to a second hotel to get the key to where we were staying. And the people at the second place at first said they weren't connected. They finally admitted it. They gave me a partial refund, at least. Uh, Dr. Modi, like, what is this that that people are, I would think, jeopardizing their brands by doing this? Yeah. Um, so, Libby, you know, this is um, this has been in the making for a while. Um, one of the things we've observed in the hotel business is um, this idea of brand proliferation, where um, really every major hotel company that you can think of, um, Hyatt and Marriott, or the two that you mentioned, have um, gone on a brand development spree. So, if you look at Marriott, for example, as a company, they have over thirty brands. Um, Hyatt, the one you mentioned that you stayed at as well, has over 15 brands as a company. Now, sometimes what happens when you have so many brands is 
it gets confusing for the consumer as to what to expect um, when you stay at each of these different brands. So Hyatt Place, for example, which is the hotel that you stayed at in, in Minneapolis, um, that's actually a select service hotel. Um, so by very definition, they're not going to provide you the same kind of services that you would receive if you stayed at one of Hyatt's luxury brands, such as Park Hyatt or the Hyatt Regency. Okay, now, but let me, let me just jump in there. I checked their website carefully um, before I uh, booked this, and I booked it through a travel agent. Nowhere on its website did it say anything like that, and yeah. even the travel agent didn't know. And again, the you know, if the price, you know, I don't believe if it's too good to be true, it's not. If the price reflected that there was no service, I might say, hmm, okay, but it did not, and they charged me more than the other people in my group. Yep. Well, Libby, unfortunately, we're living at a time right now where travel demand is so high that even select service hotels are charging three, four hundred dollars a night, and there are people who are willing to pay that price. Um, you know, when when we were sort of talking five, seven years ago, it would be unheard of for a higher place to be charging four hundred dollars a night. But just given the volume of people that are traveling, and a lot of these hotels are also making up for lost time during COVID. Mm-hmm. Um, that they're charging rates that people are willing to pay. Um, people are traveling with a vengeance, and, and and that's really why you're paying the rate, not for the product itself or for the service itself. It's just because there are other bidders that are willing to pay those kind of prices. Mm-hmm. And is it okay that uh, I'm part of a group and they won't give me the rate? Is that okay? Um, ideally, no. Um, I mean, if this, if there was a certain number of rooms that were promised to your group, and you were an individual. You were one of those rooms. Uh, then they then they should be honoring those rates. There's no reason not to. Uh, but if you were an extra room beyond what was promised to the group originally, um, then I guess they have a reason to say it. But really, it, you know, if you think about a customer experience, um, this is something that would leave a sour taste in your mouth, and you'll think twice before staying at a Hyatt hotel. And I think you know, just like the uh, airports and the airlines. Hotels seem to have lost a little bit of, of that understanding, um, you know, with the labor shortage and with everything else that's been going on. Marty, I mean, what do you make of this? I mean, you know, I feel like I've been uh, taken advantage of, frankly. Well, I can add to it. Again, that personal weekend experience. Went to the Marriott Town Suites, it was called. No idea. I knew it was 300 and something, so it worked into my budget get there it seems really bizarre i walk into the room there's a bit of an efficiency in there a kitchen and 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 a stove and things like that that i didn't even think about what's that all about then i call after i get back the first day and i uh, second night and i go guys nobody came in to clean my room (laughs) sir they come every three days that's the way it works i go whoa 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 then it became quite clear, as your guest just mentioned, they have categorized a host of different experiences. And I guess town suites is that it's got the ability for you to cook in the unit. But, of course, we don't come and clean. And therefore, that's what happens. So we're driven by price, you and me, Libby, to try to get a affordable rate, not looking a little closer at any of the advertising, or you did, but I didn't, and find out that I wasn't really going to a Marriott, per se, like I'm used to in my old travel days. Okay, you know, I'm getting so worked up, I forgot to take a break, so let's take the second break now. You're listening to an exclusive podcast of Fight Back on Zoomer Radio. Heard weekdays from noon to one. Fight Back with Libby Zneimer on Zoomer Radio. Okay, welcome back. Uh, We've been talking about really bad travel experiences, both in the airport, with flights, and with hotels. And we've also heard about bad experiences at the land border. I mean, it's enough to make you throw up your hands and say, forget it. Forget it, I'm going to stay home. Uh, though people aren't doing that, they are, quote, traveling with a vengeance. Uh, the question is, will it get a little better after Labor Day? Labor Day is coming up. It's uh, in less than a week. So, John Graddock, will it get a little better after Labor Day or not? I think I think it'll get a little better. I don't think we're going to solve the problem. It's going to take months for us to kind of get our our hospitality legs back. And to understand service, I think what's going to have to happen uh, is demand is going to have to drop 
and the the players in the hospitality game are going to have to come back to the basics of looking at trying to up the ante when it comes to the service level they're providing. Because right now, they can basically do whatever they want, and the rooms are full, the flights are full, you know, the car rentals are, are out. So because the demand is there, demand has to stop or, or slow down significantly for everybody to kind of get their act together in terms of what is the right level of customer service that they should be providing. And uh, the only way they're going to do that is basically have a bit of a, uh, a dip in demand. Marty, what are you telling your clients? Pack your patience. I can't say it enough. And I will tell you, we need a few restrictions still to be removed in order for us to get competitive again in the marketplace. That ArriveCan app has to be scrapped. The random testing has to stop. So many things have to change to get us back to even what I'll call the new normal. And I'm telling clients, if you want to get away, be prepared. But after my experience with the land border, I got like a whole new attitude this week and saying to them, it's bizarre what is going on out there and you have to be wary of it and make your decision whether you choose to travel or not. Yeah, well, I, you know, I know that a lot of people are objecting to arrive can and certainly it's deterring people from the States, but honestly, it, it, it was no big deal. <laughs> I mean, it's pretty straightforward. Not for you, but it will be for our snowbird clientele that are going away and, you know, an 80-year-old, 85-year-old that does not have a phone or just not tech-savvy, it's still a challenge for many of them. Uh, Dr. Macaron Modi, is, is there going to come a point where uh, right now these hotels are doing it because they can, but is this going to hurt their brand? I can tell you, um, unless they come through with something for me, I am not staying at a Hyatt. Zeev is not staying at a Marriott. Absolutely. You know, I, I think in in sort of this, um, in just trying to sort of keep up with demand, the whole idea of or, or realization that the brands you build they are built over experiences that consumers have with you once, but also multiple times. And I, I think this, this notion of long-term brands has been lost a little bit in just trying to keep up at this point. Um, and, you know, I, I, I empathize with the hotels. I sympathize with them just because it is challenging. Uh, but at the same time, you know, it's really no excuse for customers to be having some of the experiences that they're having. Okay. And do you think it's going to change anytime soon, Dr. Modi? Uh, yeah, I, I think to John and Marty's point, this is this is months in the making. Um, you know, what happened during COVID is so many people were let go, and many of these people have not come back into the labor force. Now, as you're hiring people... From what I'm hearing from a lot of our industry partners, it's not the same people that are necessarily coming back. And when you hire new people into your brand, even if they've worked in hospitality in the past, to get them to work according to your brand standards takes weeks and and really months of training and development. So it's not just the fact that you've hired somebody and they'll be able to do do the job well right away according to your brand. It it takes weeks and months for that to happen. So, uh, you know, I think to John's point, a little bit of a slowdown in travel as we go into September and October will help brands ramp up capacity. So you can probably start to see the benefits of that towards the end of the year. Okay. I'm sure this will continue to be a subject. Thanks so much. Marty Firestone, John Graddock, and Dr. Macaround Modi. And that is all the time we have for today. You're listening to an exclusive podcast of Fight Back on Zoomer Radio. Heard weekdays from noon to one. This podcast is proudly produced and presented by the Zoomer Podcast Network, home of great podcasts like Marilyn Lightstone Reads, Idea City on the Air, and The Garden Show.